This is the Flavor of Leadership podcast. I am your host, Clint Hoops. Together, we explore the unique blend of leadership wisdom that helps top leaders consistently achieve work goals, develop personally, and find fulfillment with family. Let's get started. Welcome back. This is episode number seven. Today, we're going to be doing a follow-up on last week's episode, The Power of Storytelling, where we talked a lot about you know the stories that we tell ourselves in our own head. And, you know, part of improving the stories that that we tell in our own head is self-control. And, you know, controlling the emotions that lead to our actions. You know, we're not trying to remove emotion from our lives. You know, we're not robots or perfect people that never make mistakes. But learning to control those emotions, which then lead to to our actions. You know, I think about my two-year-old, literally just a couple of hours ago, dinner time. I mean, my little boy, he was crazy. I mean, a typical two-year-old, I guess. But he decides what he wants, but yet he can't really communicate it very well. So he gets so angry. And you try to give him what he wants, but that time it's too late. I mean, you can just see it in his eyes, right? You guys have seen that in a, in a child's eyes where there's that crazed look where, where they can't even see clearly anymore. All they can think about is just their anger, that pure anger. And so once again, the emotion just takes over. And that's where my little two-year-old was just a, just a couple of hours ago. And, you know, I can relate to that. When I was young, I remember... A couple of different instances of when I was young that I want to share with you. You know, there was a there was a time I was I was probably around seven years old, I think. And I remember specifically that my mother had said, go downstairs, because my room was downstairs, get a shower or bath, and then get ready for the day. Right. Come back up, get dressed, etc. So I'm like, all right, no big deal. I went downstairs, did not take a shower, took my time. I probably played in my room or something for a few minutes, then got ready went upstairs thinking, yeah, she's not, she's not even going to notice. Of course she noticed because that's how moms are. And it was probably pretty easy to see that I was no cleaner than I was when I went downstairs. And so she said, you didn't take a shower. She's like, go back downstairs and take a shower. And I threw a fit. I was not happy at all. I did not want to take a shower, but I went down anyway, stomping down the stairs as I went. And I remember I was just so angry and I couldn't hardly control it. So I remember I finally got so angry. I just was walking past the wall and I kicked it as hard as I could. And I actually kicked a hole right through the drywall and kicked a hole in the wall. Oh man, at that point I knew I was dead. <laughs> and after I kicked that hole in the wall, oh, having to tell my mom and dad after that was not good. I remember... I had to pay $20. I, I remember having to count out all my money. I mean, that was a good chunk of my money. I mean, at seven years old, 20 bucks was a lot. And I had to pay that. And I remember that was so hard to pay because it was just a waste. I saw that just because I'd gotten angry and done that, I had to I had to give away all that money. And I was a big saver and didn't like to spend my money. And so that was, oh, that was the worst. Seeing my anger cost me that $20. A year or two later, I must have been eight or nine, I remember another time where we were playing with my brothers and and the neighbors and and I remember our next door neighbor Dave is his name and Dave he's listened to the the podcast a few times he called me the other day so this is a lot of years so 
I remember Dave, we were playing or something happened. I don't even remember exactly what happened. It's been so long. But I remember being so frustrated about something that happened. And I got so angry that I went inside the house and I grabbed my dad's bullwhip. He had this old bullwhip. And I remember, you know, like a, a whip that you can just like crack in the air, you know, and snap. And I remember grabbing that whip and running outside and chasing chasing after Dave and, and some of the others who were teasing me. And I remember going into chasing them all the way to the next door when they went inside the house and I, and I couldn't get them anymore. And I remember once again, that anger just overtaking me, that emotion. Another time, I remember being teased or something by my brothers. I remember my mom, you know, I was getting so angry. I remember my mom pulled me to the side and she took me into to her room. And I can remember her sitting me down on her bed I remember just that disappointed look in her face. And I remember her sitting me down on her bed and then sitting me next to her. And we were sitting next to us, each other. And I remember her just kind of sighing and then just kind of letting me know. She she said something to the effect of, you don't have to let them control you. You can control yourself. She says, take the time. She says, count to 10. I remember her telling me to count to 10. She's like, whatever you got to do to control yourself. She says, but you get to choose. Don't let your temper control you. You control it. And it's so funny, but that was one of the turning points in my life. I remember, I mean, my mom had probably told me something similar to that dozens of times, but for whatever reason, I could sense that she really wanted me to get it this time. And I listened and it made a difference. And I, I wish I could say that I never lost my temper again the rest of my life, but, but man, I know I did a lot better. And it was at that time that I can consciously remember saying, I want to control myself and my emotions. I don't want them to control me. And so since that day, I really have tried to make sure and control any emotion that I have. And so, you know, anger is just one of many emotions that can overtake us, cause us to lose control. And, you know, but there are other emotions that can take over. And sometimes they look like complacency, apathy, pride that causes us to be close-minded to those on our team that we lead or our families. Heck, it can even be sometimes habits that we form that cause us to lose control of ourselves and our interactions as a leader. You know, sometimes they can be, you know, harmful sarcasm, seen that on teams, procrastination, micromanaging, even addictions can play a role. You know, we think about substance abuse as addictions, but what about social media and technology that cause us to be disengaged? I remember doing an interview once with someone and it was amazing. I actually, this person had to have been so addicted to their smartphone that they could not ignore a notification on their phone during a job interview. Oh my goodness. Needless to say, we did not hire that person, but it's amazing how addiction can take away our control or seemingly take away our control, right? So these can be harmful to our teams as a leader. We may be in one-on-one meetings. We may be in other interactions and they may see us focusing more on our phone or what other things that are going on more than our interaction with them. We've discussed this in past episodes, but all parts of our life impact each other. 
And so having control in all areas of our life will impact what kind of leader we are. It's like we said, we, we can't be one person at home and another at work, especially as a leader. So these emotions and habits all play a role in how effective we are as a leader. And it starts with how we view ourselves and then how we view others, right? So first, how we view ourselves. So in episode six, we talked about the stories we tell ourselves inside of our own heads. And so this story is how we view ourselves and the impacts of how we view the actions we take in our lives and how we view the emotions we express as well. And so the harmful emotions we express and the harmful habits we form may not seem harmful from our current view if it's distorted. So this is why it's so important, I think, to be able to see the people around you clearly, especially the people you lead. Distortion in our view is often where issues will begin. And so how do you currently view people? Whether those are the people at home, your friends, your family, or specifically your team and the people you lead. So depending on the relationship and the situation, you will view people differently. When I was a child with a temper and a short fuse, just like all of us, I would sometimes see people more as objects to overcome than as people to care about until someone I trusted helped me see clearly. In this case, my mother. So, you know, one of the books that's really helped me over the years is a book called Leadership and Self-Deception, written by the Arbinger Institute. If you haven't read this book, I do highly recommend it. It's, it's a book that will help you in all parts of your life, specifically with the way that you see the people you lead. So, in essence, this book describes a problem we all have. And this problem is self-deception. So, the book helps us learn how to see others more clearly, which will in turn help them see you more clearly. And then they will feel and know that you're genuine in your efforts to lead and to help. So, you know, people can sense your sincerity. So there's a great example in the book that I do want to share. So starting on page 28 in Leadership and Self-Deception, this little section I want to read, it says, given a little time, we can always tell when we're being coped with, manipulated, or outsmarted. We can always detect the hypocrisy. We can always feel the blame concealed beneath veneers of niceness, and we typically resent it. In the workplace, for example, it won't matter if the other person tries managing by walking around, sitting on the edge of the chair to practice active listening, inquiring about family members in order to show interest, or using any other skill learned in order to be more effective. What we'll know and respond to is how the person is regarding us when doing these things. That's interesting, right? What we'll know and respond to is how the person is regarding us when doing these things. So people can tell if if we're sincere. They can tell how we view them. We probably all had times where we've been talked down to or demeaned or when we feel like we're like this little section described, being coped with or manipulated 
right? We truly can detect the hypocrisy. So the book describes what is known as the box. And so it's right on the cover of the book, actually. It says getting out of the box. And so our goal is to get out of that box. So what is the box? The box, in short, is the thing that distorts our view of others and causes us to see them as objects and not people. So when you're inside of the box, it distorts your view of the world. And it distorts specifically whoever you're in the box towards, right? So you may be in the box towards a certain person. And so this person now becomes an object in your way, an object to overcome or to get past or to deal with instead of a person to be understood, loved, cared for, right? There's another example that's in the book that I enjoy. The book is a leadership fable where it goes through and tells a story. And so there is a man that's telling this story about himself, right? And he's trying to teach what the box is and what it means. And so on this story on page 66, it says he's he's talking about his son, David, that was just a, a little baby at the time. And he's talking about himself. And he says, one night a number of years ago, when David was just an infant, I was awakened by his wailing cries. He was probably four months old or so at the time. I remember glancing at the clock. It was around one in the morning. In the flash of that moment, I had an impression or sense or a feeling, a thought of something I should do. It was this, get up and tend to David so that Nancy, his wife, can sleep. I don't know about any of you that have children, but man, that's, that's happened to me. If you think about it, This sort of sense is very basic, he continued. We're all people. And when we're out of the box and seeing others as people, we have a very basic sense about others, namely that, like ourselves, they have hopes, needs, cares, and fears. And on occasion, as a result of this sense, we have impressions of things to do for others. Things we think might help them. Things we can do for them. Things we want to do for them. You know, when I think about that example, I mean, I've had that very thing happen before. And it's so hard when you're sitting there and you get that great feeling like, I want to help. But then we don't act on it. So that's described in the book as self-betrayal. We have an opportunity to honor the choice or honor that good feeling that we had that we wanted to do because it's a person that we want to help. or we betray ourselves and now treat the person as an object, right? Instead of a person to be honored. So he says, self-betrayal is an act contrary to what I feel I should do for another. And that's once again, self-betrayal. And so it is truly one of those things that is so common in the world. He gave another example and he gave an example of, of getting on an elevator. He says, I got onto the elevator, and as the door started to close, I saw someone scurry around the corner and race toward the elevator. In that instance, I had a sense that I should catch the door for him, but I didn't. I just let it close. My last view being that of his outstretched lunging arm. You know, it makes you think, right? Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever done that? Maybe not an elevator, maybe not a crying baby, but maybe something else has come to your mind 
where you had self-betrayal or you didn't do what you felt you should do. And you treated the people around you more as an object to overcome more than an actual person. We've all done that. And we'll all continue to do it. Even now being aware of it, we'll still struggle with this. And this happens with us as leaders toward our teams. So in regards to our teams, just seeing people differently doesn't mean that you can't hold them accountable anymore where it's like, well, now I just need to see them clearly. And now I don't have to hold them accountable anymore because if I just see them clearly enough, everything will be perfect. No, it's not like that. But seeing them clearly allows you to make better decisions, allows you to communicate more clearly with them, and it will help you make better decisions. And it will give people the best shot to succeed. So the more clearly we can see people, the more clearly we can guide them. And we'll be a much more capable leader because of it. I've had employees in the past where I have been in the box towards them. and. I found that I was not able to lead them properly with that distorted view. You know, there's really one person I'm thinking of in particular. This has happened over time, but the one that comes to mind right now, let's let's call her Ruth. You know, Ruth used to be great. This was a number of years ago. Ruth used to be great. But over the few months that I'm talking about here, she was just consistently misbehaving in meetings by her lack of engagement and you know, her performance measures were suffering and And honestly, other people on our team were noticing as well. And I didn't know exactly what had changed. I had lots of reasons, honestly, that I could just fire and be completely justified. She was not performing and meeting the metrics that she knew she needed to meet. The only problem was that I knew deep down that I wasn't seeing her clearly. And it really wasn't to the point that this had to be like, oh man, she had to be terminated right now. But it was to a point where something had to change now. And I decided, you know, I needed to change my view. I honestly didn't even realize that my view of her had changed over the last little while. Combination of things that had happened in my own life, things that had happened at work, met with some of the things she was going through at work. And, you know, we were not communicating well anymore. After finally seeing that we were at these crossroads, I, I did. I decided to look inward and sought to see her again as, as someone who wanted to be led and to succeed versus just an object to be overcome and someone that just wanted to make my job difficult. Because honestly, that's how I was starting to see her as someone that was just a stumbling block in my way instead of a member of the team that wanted to help us all succeed. So when we met next, I really did have a different view of her. And as I sought to understand her situation more fully, I still gave her very direct feedback along with the accountability that she needed and that was appropriate to the situation. But the difference was the way that it was accepted by her. It was accepted in a way that I hadn't seen for for months from Ruth. But really all that had changed that I can tell was my sincerity and my view of her. I was in the box towards her and seeing her it with through a distorted lens. But then once I removed that and started seeing her clearly again, 
we were able to communicate. And I was outside of the box. And guess what? She went on to be very successful again. And I'm so grateful that I was able to change myself to help her. Now, in the case of Ruth, this worked. And it worked well. And it will work with many others. Does it always work perfectly just like this? Unfortunately, no. Not everyone's situation is such that that the way that we are seeing them is the reason they're they're failing or struggling. You may be seeing somebody very clearly and they may be actually struggling. And so in that case, it's okay. As long as you're seeing them clearly, some people are still going to fail. Some people are not going to fit on your team and that is okay. But if you see them clearly and see them as people, then you know you'll be making the right decisions with a clear mind and a clear view. You know, my goal when building a team is to get as many of the right people as possible on my team, right? That's what all of us want. But the right people are not perfect, and each of us need help from someone who can see us more clearly and to help lead us, right? As the leader, you too fall into that category of not being perfect. And you need to find people that can help give you clear feedback. Hopefully you have those people. Feedback from caring leaders has helped me so much in my life. I can't imagine where I would be as a person, as an employee, as a leader, without the feedback that I've received in the past from people that saw me clearly and took the time to care and give me feedback even when it hurt me and probably hurt them to deliver it at times. But I so appreciate it because all of us want someone who cares to communicate with us. Whether we're in or out of the box toward them, we need someone to communicate well with us. And so, which will help us to be able to improve ourselves. And, and hopefully if, if we're in a box of our own and seeing a distorted view of those around us, hopefully those caring leaders can help us. And we, as caring leaders, can help others. I can tell you what doesn't work. Telling somebody they're in a box, right? <laughs> you know, that's tough. The only box you can control is your own toward others. Getting yourself out of the box, removing your own distorted view, even if people have a distorted view of you. The best way to help them see you clearly is by you removing that distortion from yourself and seeing them clearly. It's amazing how that will help people see you clearly as well. And once we're out of the box and we're able to communicate in a way that people can sense our sincerity, they are going to be so much more likely to accept our feedback as their leader. And they'll be able to improve in ways that will make them better and help the entire team and help them personally as well. So what's the challenge this week? The challenge is this. I take the time to identify one person in your life that you are not seeing clearly and seek to change it. You know, really get out of the box towards that person to give the example from leadership and self-deception. Identify that one person in your life that you are not seeing clearly and seek to change it. And if it's somebody on your team, you'll be able to see it and see through their measures how they'll improve and change. If it's somebody in your personal life or someone in your family, 
Maybe it's a child that you don't see quite clearly and you want to improve your view of even your own child to see them more clearly and help them do it and make that, make that change and they'll feel it. Thank you so much for listening today. And as always, we ask that you please share the podcast with a friend if you think they would enjoy it. And also a written review always makes a big difference for people to help find the Flavor of Leadership podcast. Thank you so much. Until next week. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Flavor of Leadership podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at flavoroflleadership.com. Thanks for listening.